This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome to Better Late Than Never, a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, cult favorite, or otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest and I will decide if it was better late, they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never, the movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. Today, I am joined by my friend Josh, and we're going to be discussing a movie that he's never seen before, Seven. Yeah. Hi, Josh. Seven. Hey, what's up, Dave? Great to be here. <laughs> Welcome to the program. Better late than never, as they say. Well, we're going to find that out. Um, yeah, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Josh, why haven't you seen Seven? Yeah, it's a weird one because I consider myself a movie, uh, a, not aficionado, but I love movies. I like watching them. And I, I wonder if some of the reason I've never seen it is because it's never been licensed to a streaming service. Because this is the type of movie that if I saw on a service... You'd I, watch it right away. I would have watched it probably multiple times because it's apparently it's a very good movie. And I also have a, a, an affection for uh, horror, serial killer movies, mm. anything uh, with Brad Pitt in it. Um, I believe this movie also has Samuel L. Jackson in it. If that's uh, or Morgan Freeman, uh, it's got somebody in it. Okay, um, Gwyneth Paltrow, I know, is in it. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Um, you said you like uh, serial killer movies. Like, what what would you qualify as that that you like? Uh, yeah. Well, now I have to back that up by listing some, huh? I guess. Uh, Silence. Yeah, Silence of the Lambs. Less maybe serial killer movies and more horror movies is what. Mm. Um, okay. But, I mean, basically, you haven't been avoiding the film, though. Well, that's the thing about this about this one. Did your parents not let you watch it as a kid? I don't know. So, it came out in the late 90s. It came out uh, in 1995. 1995, okay. Which, uh, not to blow how old we are, but we were still relatively young. I would have been 10 years old at that time. Yeah, and it would have been about the same. Now, that was... So, that was the weird thing about that time, is my parents censored what I watched pretty significantly. So... Uh, and at the same time, my mom let me watch a lot of violent movies. So I watched, like, every Steven Seagal movie, you know. Okay, so they censored, like, the sexy movies. Yes, anything right. that my mom thought had sex in it, she wouldn't let me watch. But Under Siege, Under Siege 2, Under Siege actually has a stripper in it. And my mom made me leave the room for that scene, but thought it was fine, perfectly fine, for me to see, like, guys getting gunned down and their throats you know slit and it's very american steven seagal cracking heads isn't uh, isn't the stripper in that gary Busey? is the stripper no gary Busey is uh He's officer a on the ship who turns out to be a bad guy now the second under siege movie on uh, the train on the train 
features oh man i think kevin pollock might be the villain no that's not correct no it's no good though oh i forget oh, his eric bogosian that's it's it playwright eric bogosian yeah a bogosian situation okay so anyway yeah so it was weird so this is the kind of movie that my parents would have thought was probably too dark mm-hmm. well there's a there's different kinds of violence right so there's like the steven seagal like guys getting punched and kicked in the face or like you know there's a gunshot and a squib but then there's the like hannibal lecter has gotten his hands on you and we're about to see like a vivisection style violence you know yeah exactly and there was a whole kerfuffle where i rented from dusk till dawn which came out Mm. around this period and my mom saw the early scenes of the movie and would not let me watch it yeah, yeah, I can see that. Somehow, I, I think I brought it to a friend's house, and we watched it there. And she... The old workaround. Yep, and, and like, I left the I left another VHS in the case. Brilliant. But she checked it, and oh. so she knew that I had watched it, and she freaked out, and she took... I think I lost TV privileges for a week, because oh. I, I, I was... Uh, through a tantrum about how it was insane she wouldn't let me watch this movie because it was a movie that I thought was awesome. I it, mean, It's silly violence. It, well, but the first 25 minutes of it is not silly. Uh, they, like, yeah, okay. Tarantino's character violently sexually assaults a woman and kills her. Right. And then Clooney walks in and is like, you screw you up. You scamp. This isn't one of my practical jokes, is it? Uh, so right. so anyway, so so I think there was became kind of a household ban Mm. on this type of movie uh and then i guess it's just not a movie that people no one in my life has said hey let's sit down and watch it because i think everyone has seen it oh we're back on seven now yeah so so sorry. because we so just to be clear we have very clearly got down that you are pro dust till dawn yeah okay big fan all right so seven people just don't want to watch it with you I just don't think anyone has ever said hey let's sit down and watch this movie and people when they hear i haven't seen it are surprised and they want to they they're like you should see it but i mean have you gotten any like have people given you any guff for not having seen seven yeah people are surprised that i haven't seen it the way i talk about movies too then the other thing is i am a bit i I like to go on imdb i like to find out who is and what right and somehow i don't know much about this movie i i think because i know it's got so many specific spoilers that i've i've tried to stay away from knowing much about it knowing that it's a movie that that uh you might has see a lot day. of twists and turns and i want to see it and experience it now unfortunately in the last year especially i went for much of my life avoiding spoilers to being inundated with them oh, interesting all right well we'll get to that in a second what i'd like to know before we get into specific spoilers or predictions is what what do you know about the film generally speaking like just what have you picked up about it through your cultural literacy? It's about a serial killer. Yeah. It stars Brad Pitt. Yeah. It stars Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow dies. Okay. And Morgan Freeman, I believe, is also in it. Can you think of anyone else who might be in the film? Uh, I thought that Sam Jackson was in it, but I, but now I, for some reason I'm doubting that because you didn't really react earlier when I mentioned him. You were thinking of Morgan Freeman. I don't think I was thinking of Morgan Freeman. I just want to put on record. I didn't confuse Morgan Freeman and Sam Jackson. I just thought they were both in this movie. Okay, okay. Don't worry, Josh. We'll cut your racism out in it's post. It's not racist. 
It's not. Come on. They're no, very I different. No, you thought they were both in it. Yes. Okay, okay. So I don't know much about this movie. I know that Brad Pitt is in it. Gwyneth Paltrow is in it. Morgan Freeman is in it. I believe David Fincher directed it. Mm-hmm. It was a success. I'm pretty sure it was a huge... Yeah, it was a big hit. It was a hit. And I understand the... So you don't want me to get there, but I understand there's a sequence involving a box. Okay, well, now that... I think now we can start to get to that. I wanted to get a sense of, like, how much has seeped in just through living your life, but now that we've got... Okay, and I understand that it's about the seven deadly sins. That is so important. So that someone is killing people based on the seven deadly sins. Right. And now I guess we can start getting into specific predictions. We're going to watch this movie in a minute. So do you have any, you got any calls you want to make? Yeah, what Gwyneth, do you think is going to happen? I know that Gwyneth Paltrow gets murdered and her head gets put in a box. That for some reason, I don't know what like rule, like it was like 20 years past and the Congress, there's like a 20 year ban on talking about the specifics of this movie. And in the last year it's been lifted because on several podcasts and in several real life conversations, screaming what's in the box has become like a culturally relevant joke again i was gonna ask is there any particular phrase that you might yes, associate it is what's in the box and i understand that it is gwyneth paltrow's head and that brad pitt is the one screaming it i don't know the context outside of that but man and i'd like to say specifically scott ackerman on comedy bang bang he's like in the middle of a podcast is just starts you know busting out his impression of Brad Pitt screaming what's in the box and then he caps by going Gwyneth Paltrow's head actually and mm. his partner on the podcast is like I don't really think you should be spoiling that and I think said, 20 years is a said, fair amount of fuck time all those people who haven't seen the movie seven at this point I think he's right I, I think he's right 20 years is a long time Josh this is really on you well I I tend to agree that if it's you funny know. you should say that too because I feel like I've also been noticing a certain uptick in the density of references to this relatively old film. Uh, in particular, uh, the most recent episode of iZombie that I watched also has a reference to that exact thing. It seems like the most iconic scene in the movie. Maybe. Uh, and by the way, iZombie is a great show and everyone should be watching it. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm done. Go ahead. I agree 100%. Uh, it seems, you know, I don't know. So the movie, like, again... I think maybe it is the type of thing where it is a movie that is filled with with things that you could spoil, but people have the decency not to. However, this particular scene is so over the top and so memorable, it's become the one that people have latched onto. Yeah, it's also very quotable, as you have shown. I think, um, they, I think that Brad Pitt was on the James Corden show, and also they did a bit. They where, got him to do it? Yeah. That's like, funny. Also, James Corden's whole thing of just getting people to do stuff they've done, you know, fuck off. Like... If all you, if you're only if the thing you think is funny is just recreating things that were funny before or, or have happened before, is that really like does that take any thought? You're not with me on this. Well, you I look just very, you don't look into this. A surprising amount of uh, animosity for James Corden. Not for him, but for the concept that his show is driven by simply rehashing things that have already happened so it's like so not a fan of family guy then no not a, not of the reference part of it i think family guy is very good when it's going completely absurdist you know what you want to do in that case is stop watching family guy and start watching american dad instead yeah i mean i i've watched a good show's uh, a lot better i've watched a number of both of those shows i think what you know at the end of the day uh i i know a lot of people love seth MacFarlane, so i'm not gonna 
not going to dive into. I don't want to get thousands of tweets about how I. Said, you get the far the far hive on you. I don't. <laughs> and and uh, I mean, I feel like Seth MacFarlane has a pretty big Twitter presence himself. So yeah, but I also, I mean, whatever. He's not listening to this. Um, but that's the point in this day and age. It doesn't matter. You you can be nobody. And the world will decide to put you in your some place. little some tattletale will go running to him on Twitter and be like, "These two random guys were talking shit about you." Yeah, and e- I mean, even just on Twitter, celebrities <laughs> post something and people respond, and celebrities feel the need to retweet that response and shame people. Like, yeah, whatever. And sometimes it's warranted, but sometimes you're like, "This person has three followers. Who gives a fuck if they said you weren't good in, you know." Uh, Lucky Logan, which you weren't, Seth MacFarlane. You were Logan the, Lucky. What you? Were, he was the worst part of that movie. I didn't see it, but I also want to be clear. Uh, internet, Josh is the one talking shit about Seth MacFarlane. I'm the one who said American Dad was good. At so. Josh underscore Kohler. All right, well there you go. All right, well, uh, any last predictions before we go? There are a few other, I would say, iconic moments of this film. Oh, Can you think of any? Kevin Spacey is the villain. <sighs> I just remember that. I I re- you ne- you didn't mention him before and I was like ooh it just popped into my head mm. and Kevin Spacey in real life is a villain so it's a- it's fitting casting yeah well they didn't know that at the time and this was a I mean I would say too that I think that there were a lot of movies around this time uh about is that a plane well wow. I'm gonna take I'm gonna copter <clears throat> they're coming for me because of that Seth MacFarlane comment <laughs> they got on you real fast there were a lot of movies in the late 90s about serial killers and, and even mm. though I blanked earlier and was not able to name them I remember there was one with Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington I believe virtuosity uh, there yeah there was like there was one I mean Denzel did a few of them where he uh, fallen fallen that's that's what I'm thinking of um, and so I think also seven fell into a genre, a very popular genre of the late 90s, and that may be another reason why I didn't see it. Because well, to a were... certain extent, though, I feel like maybe it existed before. I mean, Silence of the Lambs certainly came out well before this, or mm-hmm. at least a few years before this, but Seven feels like it really kicked off a run of films in this vein. There are a lot of Seven knockoffs. Uh, would you consider uh, the Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr. Zodiac joint a Seven knockoff, or would you consider that a piece, a standalone movie? Um, I would not consider it a knockoff. I mean, a, a lot of the similarities you can chalk up to them having the same director. Oh yeah, truth. Yeah. Just also, I, I feel like the uh, the perspective that Zodiac takes is, it feels like Seven has sort of an, a very subjective perspective where Zodiac is a little more um, godlike, and I don't know if I'm making sense, but... Um, one is a little Im- more immersed in the nitty gritty of the investigation, whereas the other is kind of like this long unfolding story of people's lives, you know? Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I don't know if I would really. <laughs> Sounds like seven is happening outside your door right now. Yeah. There's definitely a kid in the hallway. Who's, who's not, is not really that happy. So I think the, I, I think it's a cool idea and I'm excited to, I'm glad that six of the seven deadly sin murders have not been spoiled. Because, oh, well, I was going to ask, um, because you know that they're the seven deadly sins, do you have any predictions on how they're going to like work? No. I mean, I assume he's overfeeds someone till they, till they just, you know, suffocate that, that has to happen. That's gluttony. 
I don't know how you I don't know how you kill someone coveting someone else's wife. I mean, I, unless you or you that were, is a that's a commandment. Oh, oh. Maybe you're thinking of envy. Oh yes, I'm sorry. So the Ten Commandments versus the Seven Deadly Sins. So yeah, what, he, that the person who doesn't keep the Sabbath day really gets screwed over. So what film. are the so so gluttony, uh, envy? Uh, I believe in you. Gluttony, envy, uh, sloth. Oh boy! It is sort of like naming the seven dwarves. Yeah, sleepy, dopey, grumpy. You changed streams there. I know, but I'm, now I'm just seeing if I can name the seven dwarves. Okay, so uh, we've we've covered three of them. What do you have? The other? Do you want me to put you out of your misery on it? Yes, please. All right. There's gluttony, envy, sloth, lust, wrath, greed, and. Um, See, this is the uh, this is this is my bashful, um, pride, pride. Okay, pride comes before the fall. It does, and so, yeah, I guess uh, that's good. Unless you have anything to uh, add to your prediction list before we get to watching this bad boy. Well, I would like to say I'm very, I am looking forward to finally watching seven yeah i haven't seen it in a while i'm looking forward to this too and the advent i'd like to say to everyone on the podcast because this is not part of the podcast but the way that i uh got this movie is is just that my girlfriend was walking around uh walking home for to her apartment from work one day and there were a there was a pile of dvds on the sidewalk and so she knows that i like movies and she sent me a text with a picture of them and said, "Hey, do you want any of these DVDs?" And I, so wait, was that just like a plug for your girlfriend? I just think it's great that she, the way that this movie finally came to me through the universe was finding it on the street. Okay, okay, but Fair yes, enough. yes. Shout out to her for uh, for knowing that somehow I would I would want to see this movie. Yay! All right, D- watch Dave edit all of that out. You piece of shit. <laughs> Let's watch this thing. You son of a bitch. And roll movie. Do you like what you do for a living? These things you see. California, stay away from here. John Doe has the upper hand. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony. You're going to come take a look at this. Greed. No one touches anything. Sloth. Wrath. Pride. Lust. And envy. I saw you with the box. What was in the box? This guy's methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. Oh, what's in the box? Have you ever seen anything like this? No. What's in the fucking box? Seven. You get me closer to God. Wow, what a movie. We're back. That was crazy. Yeah, it was good, right? It kind of yes, it was very good. It's a it's a longish movie. It's over 2 hours, but I kind of forgot how it really moves. It's, it's yeah, but I, I don't mind. I thought that it really the scenes where 
they allowed the detectives to really just live in the search. I mean, I really enjoyed Yeah, like, the parts where it slowed down were also, like, very important character-building moments, so it never felt like wasted time. None of it, none of it uh, felt unnecessary. None right. None of it felt too, too much. And I, and I, I mean, yeah, great movie. And even though I knew what was coming, I, it almost made part of it, like, the, the amount, I felt very, very tense in the last... 10 or 15 minutes of this movie in a way that uh, a movie hasn't uh, oh, yeah. made me feel in some time. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, before we get into this, if you will permit me, if you'll indulge me for a moment, I do have a story about watching this. It was a similar situation as with you, where um, it was Christmas Eve one year, and my mom and sister were out at some like Christmas thing, and I was back at home visiting for Christmas but it was just me and my dad for the night. And so we were hanging out and I suggested watching a movie and I was looking through, you know, it is their DVD collection, but it's a lot of leftovers of mine. And I saw seven in there and I was like, Hey, you want to want to try watching this? I was like, okay. And so we watched it and I just, it helps if you know my dad, just the kind of like slightly artistically snobby, picky, movie curmudgeon that he is you got to be really careful about the movie you pick because if you make a mistake he won't let you recommend a movie it'll be years rebuilding your reputation so you've got to hit a home run every time so we get to the end of the film and i'm like so what'd you think and he says i thought it was very very good and then there was a pause and then he says not very Christmassy. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, accurate. No, not very Christmassy. It at was all. not. Well, it is about giving gifts. Uh, ultimately, there, at the very there, end there of is the movie. a package, a box that's opened at the end. All right. So yeah, so let's get into I'm it. Uh, how, do, how do you feel like your predictions turned out, Josh? Uh, well, I didn't. I realized in hindsight I didn't make many, but no. I did get gluttony right. Uh, you got gluttony right. And I don't. I mean, there are parts of it that. Oh, and it, Gwyneth dies with her head in a box. You got yeah, that right well, too. Yeah, well, but that's because other people spoil that. And I really, really wanted a gorier reveal they because for that, gluttony because no for her head no gluttony was absolutely disgusting <laughs> yeah gluttony was not kudos to 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 the Their art department art artist, yeah. to the makeup artist to the director of photography to their David set Fincher. designers everything about the crime scenes is 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 really uh, a game yeah so. well i know there's this like horrible grungy rundown disgusting aesthetic to all of the film basically yeah. and at one point you did say watching the the movie you just go these apartments man <laughs> and i was like yes they're so disgusting but the other thing is it's 90s new york so the, the- it's okay it is New York, but it's also not New York. Like, maybe I'm wrong, and I'm sure I'll be told if I am, but I always got the sense that the movie takes place in the city. Sure. You know what I mean? It's it's not named, as far as I can remember, or identified. It's clearly, like, New York or Chicago, maybe. Clearly someplace that gets a lot of rain. Um, but it's, it's not any specific city. It's just... I, I even wrote it down. It's so representative of that, like mid 90s but kind of stretching back to the 70s movie 
aesthetic of painting any urban area as a total hellscape. I mean, we'd have to go back and actually look at a still of it, but I'm pretty sure at one point they're at a train station and you see like 215th street or so like it was a i think there's an identifiable new york subway uh during during one sequence of this movie but the thing is in in new york specifically because it was so manhattan and was such a train wreck in the 70s and 80s it's not unbelievable that there were terrible apartments like that that were massive But now they're all filled with wealthy people because either people moved into them and then the buildings gentrified around them or uh, people, you know, once crime was kicked out of these neighborhoods, the real estate went right. ridiculous. Well, I mean, the crime, you know, crime started to slack off a little bit in the early to mid 90s. And so you like gradually the way cities were portrayed on films began to change, too. Yeah, but also, I mean, the first the first. I don't even know if you can call it an apartment because I think it's a house, but the Glutton crime scene... Oh, Glutton's house is... It's not even a... It's just like... It makes you sick. There are no... There's no walls. It's mostly just uh, boards. There's no drywall. There's no uh, wallpaper. And it really... I mean, like, there's two TVs stacked on top of each other. Yeah, I saw that, and I wondered... It made me think of... I think it's a Carl Pilkington thing where he talked about he knew someone who did that because... One of the TVs works for picture and the other works for sound. So he like just put them on the same uh, channel. Okay. I wondered yeah, if maybe that yeah. was what Gluttony was up to. Yeah, that makes sense. I could see that. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so not to get too bogged down, but the 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 setting is a great atmosphere movie. The setting. Of, Absolutely. Of each uh, crime scene and the establishing things like the train rumbling their apartment. There's a there's a lot of uh, of, of well done table setting. Speaking of the setting, too, one thing that I noticed, uh, and this is kind of veering into an actor discussion, but um, the whole city is this terrible, grungy, wet, damp uh, nightmare place, but uh, Gwyneth Paltrow in the film, she... I mean, part of it is just the way, you know, like, their apartment is a little warmer, it's a little nicer and cleaner, and she's very lovely... Uh, but it's it's also just what she brings to the role. I think she's very good in this, and I think part of it is that there's something almost luminous about her yeah. throughout this film. She's just such a like she is just such a warm presence. Yeah. Well, I I mean that, and she's used effectively, uh, which is why the end is so horrific. But the yes, I, I mean we can. Where should we should we circle around the yeah. end because. You know, that was that sequence. We can. Uh, before we do, though, I just before we move on, I want to point out one other thing, which I only noticed in this movie for the first time. I think this is like the fourth time I've seen it or something. Uh, and that is uh, back in Gluttony's apartment, the fresh pineapple on the top of his fridge. Well, the thing about pineapples is they can they can be there for months. OK, without but really it was looking like any different. That apartment looked gross and i refuse to believe there was anything in there that wasn't covered in like a thick layer of grease or dirt or soot or mold sure and there's just this beautiful fresh healthy pineapple yeah and in the fridge 
Uh, when Morgan Freeman opens the door, in the side of the door, there's a 20-pack of burritos. Yeah, this is a nice breakfast. But that's something that would be in the freezer. You don't buy... He's not holding on to those things long enough for him to even bother freezing them. I mean, I guess... Does he even microwave them? Uh... He's probably just stuffing his fat face with those things, like, in between every commercial break. Which brings me to, should we talk about my, my one, one of my few issues with this movie? I'd love to hear that. In the very, when they're in the car at the end and they're driving along and Kevin Spacey is justifying why he's, he's, uh, uh, you know. Why he killed all the people. Yeah. The I was, gonna, I was going to say, he's, he's, the... he's justifying why he's justified and that I didn't want to use <laughs> the same word twice in a sentence. Right. So he's justifying why he's empowered to justifying kill Justifying why he was cast on Justified. So. Yeah. With uh, Tim uh, Oliphant. Oliphant? Timothy Oliphant? And not Oliphant. Whatever. Anyway. He's great. So Kevin Spacey is rattling off why it's it's okay that he killed these people because in his mind they were all sinners. Yeah. But he's he goes from, he's like, that fat guy was so fat. If you saw him on the street, you would have made jokes about him. And you're like, ah, okay. I mean. Yeah, other- it doesn't feel of a piece with the other things he says, like that disgusting lawyer getting rich, getting murderers off the street or back on the streets. And that drug dealing actual pederast. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, and then that fat guy. Well, yeah. I mean, it is still a sin, though. Uh, gl- and he yeah, was sure. gross. Like, you saw him. He was gross, but he was also gross I mean, he'd been force-fed spaghetti for who knows how well, long. Well, that's not why he was fat, though. That was just why he died of fat. Do you also think that the pla- the the pieces or the plastic pieces or whatever those are, the shards, are in the spaghetti because the spaghetti wasn't killing him fast enough, or because it's a clue for the de- the detectives? I think it was a clue because I don't know if you caught it. It's just in the dialogue. Um, they mentioned he fed him and fed him and fed him until he was like literally bulging, and then he kicked him so that he ruptured uh, internally. I did not realize that. So that was how he brought it about. I mean, I also wondered if that so because I had not seen this movie before. I was wondering at the it, like, is it a thing where he's not allowed to kill them himself? He's allowed to kill them. Himself. Well, yeah. I mean, it becomes very clear that he is. But even with uh with lust, he makes the knife. Yeah, we'll get into less too. Yeah, there is, but you're right. There is a certain like jigsaw element to him where it's like, I didn't kill them. I just gave them a choice. Like, especially with pride, right? Well, and then my favorite part of the movie, uh, which which is Sloth, where he doesn't actually kill the guy. He doesn't die. He doesn't die. I mean, presumably that's. You had a great reaction to that too. Like, so we're like, you know, we're getting up to the building and you you start being like oh there's a body there's gonna be a body air fresheners we got a body yeah and then well, we look at it and you're gross and then when he coughs the first time i saw that for the like maybe even the, through the second time knowing it happened it was happening i jumped out of my seat yeah it was amazing well yeah because they're as the swat team is is climbing up the the apartment building stairs to storm the apartment all i'm thinking in my head is this killer, I mean, this is a serial killer, so the the uh, he's obviously one step, you know, multiple mm-hmm. steps ahead of them. Yeah. So they're not going to find him. They're going to find the a body. And help me, I mean, I don't, you know, you have to, whether he brought the guy there or whether Kevin Spacey just wrote help me with his hand, I guess, is the is a question. But help me seemed like a, a, an actual plea, not, not like a clue. Well, it was a clue. I mean, it was both. It was both, but... I think I don't know if Kevin Spacey's 
uh, that was some part of his psyche asking. No, that was him. He used so he used the tide. He used Sloth's hand, and what he's he's speaking for him. So like Sloth is saying, "Help me, come find me, save me." Got it. It's the Sloth uh, victim, and that who's ma- saying, "Help and, me." And man, the reveal. I mean, first the reveal of the of him in the bed that was amazing. But then when he wakes up, you lost it a little I, bit. I was I was really really that was a good jump i mean that was i'm glad that that was not spoiled i'm that was totally that was definitely something where uh if someone had revealed that to me i would have been upset because that's a that's a really well done bit of yeah it's down. it's it's one of the best jump scares really in any movie yeah um, I, I vouch for that yeah i i enjoyed that because i got to experience the uh the vicarious thrill of that happening for the first time you know watching you react to it vicarious thrill also was i considered for the name of this podcast just because that was going to be an ancillary benefit i get from all of these oh yeah that makes sense uh so oh I- um let me also say i wrote down uh you did make one more prediction uh it was after the movie had started but uh part way through the film you definitely said uh you called gwyneth paltrow for lust uh but she wasn't lust no it didn't work out that way no i was wrong um i i guess she was envy that was the that was a bit yeah um yeah so i i suppose it would be that her death is envy even and then kevin spacey's death is wrath even though in both cases it's staggered like it's the sin of the perpetrator yeah. in both of those instances, but you kind of have to do it that way just because that's how wrath has to go down. Yeah, and uh, which, so just keeping... I mean, it's not how it has to, but it's it's more artistic that I, way. I will say one, one thing that I was expecting, and I kind of am, in some ways I'm glad the movie didn't do this, but I, but I missed, uh, is they did tend to start flying through the crime scenes. So the first mm-hmm. two or three... They really live in it for a few minutes. Yes. And then it gets to a point where... They're faster and faster. They're faster and faster. And, I mean, the the fact of the matter is the Pride one... I, Pride's, Pride's the one that's most tossed off. And kind of the most problematic because... what? So she was vain? I mean... What well, she if, was a model. Okay. And, yeah, the idea was that she was vain. There were pictures of her all over the apartment. And also... The he had the idea that he gave her the choice, so she can call nine one one and live her life ugly, or she can choose to just kill herself right there. And she made the choice to die, so that's that's. But she it... made she made the call, which is why he cut her up, and she died anyway. He made the call after she was dead. Uh, so she he gave her the choice. Okay, she chose the pills, and then he called nine one one and was like, "There he the the quote in the film is, I went." And did it again. Uh, oh, yes, you're right. That you're one, right. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, though, even... Okay, so I just want to make sure I have this straight in my head. She takes the pills, and he waits for her to die before he mutilates her, because he mutilates her regardless. He mutilated her alive. Okay. Now, did he do that? So he does he mutilate her and say, you can end it now, or you can call 9-1 and live this way? So that's what yeah. it is? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so she chose pride, and that's, she chose that she couldn't live disfigured like this. Yeah. I mean, you have to admit, a lot of these crimes rely very heavily on him having a flawless psychological evaluation of the intended victims. Yeah. At least, certainly with Brad Pitt at the end. Well, and that is another thing that, you know, you think, you realize, uh, so this movie is 23 years old at this point. 
That's correct. And uh, and you'll notice that Morgan Freeman is on the point of retirement <laughs> in this 23-year-old movie, and he's still around. Yeah. I that mean, is one healthy older man. He he really has aged really quite well. I mean, uh, and uh, this movie is 23 years old, and he says, what really struck me as an odd choice is that if you are that detective, well, actually, let me back this up. I'd say one other thing I called. This was not a prediction going into the movie. But after Sloth, when they confront the photographer in the stairs... You noticed who I it was. I knew immediately that it was Kevin Spacey. But I, I have to not call bullshit on that, but point out the fact that you knew Kevin Spacey was in this movie primed you to notice when he was in it. Like, when this movie came out... In 95, one, no one knew he was in it. It was, like, pre-internet, so the casting was in all over Twitter. And he's not in the opening credits. Uh, they keep him off of those sure. in order to make it a surprise. And also, in 1995, Kevin Spacey wasn't as omnipresent as he used to be. Yeah. So you wouldn't have necessarily known. So, I yes, it was good. It was a good notice, but you were helped. I think, I, I think also what was going on in my head was not even... Was that it was Kevin Spacey, but also that... Hold this. Hold on a second. This person is probably the killer. Yeah. Because it didn't make any sense. It was really like they'd shown two. We've seen two crime scenes up until this point with no press presence, and they've gone sort of out of their way to show the press is held at bay with this press conference. And then we get to the third crime scene, and there's just a reporter taking pictures of Brad Pitt in the stairs. I don't think I needed a lot of priming to realize that that's probably the killer returning yes. to the scene. Yeah, that much at least. Which is a serial killer trope. And they they do reveal that relatively quickly thereafter when you get to his apartment yeah. and see the pictures. What that reminds me of, too, is um, on subsequent viewings of this movie, after I'd seen it for the first time, it's always stood out to me how well seeded throughout the film Brad Pitt's status as Wrath is. Like, yeah. just his... His temperament and the way he reacts to things, even though he's a good man in a lot of ways, just once you go in knowing that he's wrath, the ways in which that makes sense become more and more apparent. And what I especially noticed this time is that John Doe has the collection of photographs. He's clearly kind of kind of a shutterbug for a serial killer. Um, and he has pictures of all of his intended victims, all of them in some kind of pose, whether natural or staged reflective of which sin they're associated with so he's got the hooker who's out like trolling for tricks and then he's got the fat guy where he's got a picture of him offering the the food etc etc and then brad pitt's photo he's like he's got his arm up and he's screaming in the guy's face like he looks like the embodiment of wrath it just it, it stuck out yeah but it's odd to me that at that moment they don't go oh shit we have to put your wife in police protection. So that's that's what I think mm. is antiquated about this narrative. In this day and age, you wouldn't need anything to find out who that man's spouse was. It's it's one of those situations True. where they they go out of their way to have Kevin Spacey say it was pretty easy to bribe your friends at the office to get your wife's information. It's like, well, yeah, in this era, it would just been Facebook. Like you would have immediately probably put her yeah, in a witness maybe. protection program. There were. It you know, there's a lot about this film that's timeless, but there were a few things I noticed about, uh, y you know, things that uh, were reflective of the time period it was created. One little thing that I always love every time I watch this movie is that Brad Pitt uses Cliff's notes at the beginning. Oh, yeah. 
uh, to read the Inferno. I was actually worried that what the package that was being handed to, to him was going to be something like a note from the killer. And I was mm. I was very that and that was a great contrast to all the hours that Morgan Freeman is putting in at the library. Yeah, uh, and Morgan Freeman goes to a library. How's that for dated? Uh, like a police library too. I, I didn't no, it was a real library. Oh, okay. So those were security guards. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, but you notice too, he goes there often enough that he's like on f- friendly first name bases with the security guards. Yeah, and that was a great. Again, some of the places where the movie really lived was that montage of yes. his process versus Brad Pitt's process. Yes, totally. Um, I also, you, you pointed out, and I guess this is a trope, although I feel like I have seen this in real life, that all libraries have those research desks. They all have the same green, uh, green lamp. Yeah. And I point this out specifically because a few days ago I watched a movie called The Box. Not a good, great movie. The Cameron Diaz movie. Yeah. And James Marsden. And, uh, I, and it is also a thriller. And at one point there's a scene at a library because- you kind of have to have a scene at a library if there's a thriller. This was also set in the 70s, this mm. this movie. Green Lamps. So Green Lamps, uh, yeah, there's a there's a room and Cameron Diaz, no, James Marsden walks through a room at the library with all these, you know, tables, reading tables, and everyone has a green lamp on it. So I wondered initially, is this the same library? I think I think that's more like a library trope. Yeah, I mean, it, or it's certainly a research trope. Yeah, uh, and maybe a period trope because maybe they're trying. Maybe that's like, I mean, there were uh, there are elements of this movie that made it clear it had to be in the '90s, but there were elements of uh, they were using sort of antiquated. Yeah, maybe I feel like any time though you see something that has like a montage or a scene of people studying late into the night. If it's not them hunched over a computer, it's them sitting at one of those green lanterned desks in a in a research yeah, space. Very likely, very likely. And uh, I I was very engaged, and I and I will say that the, this movie was something that played well on DVD, but it would have been nice to see in a theater. Hmm. Because it, why why? Uh, because of the attention to detail, the art direction, and the cinematography specifically. Uh, and the ambiance of every scene and every location. I, I mean, if this is the kind of thing where if it's screened at an Alamo draft house, I'll definitely think about seeing it because sure. I'd like to see this in the movie theater yeah. experience. So just uh, talking about that for a second, the you know the direction at least. Um, so this is a David Fincher <laughs> film. It is not his first film, but it is his first film after his first film, which was the disastrous alien three okay and there's a certain extent to which alien three can kind of be tossed out and you can consider this to be his first film really i mean you know that's you know that's not 100 percent the case and there's things about alien three that are interesting but there's a lot of studio interference in that movie this is his first like you know this is me what i'm about and you can see his aesthetic is all over it that he'll be running with even up until today i don't think it's a future episode but i will say i have not seen alien 3 and i know it's on hbo so i might watch that tomorrow. well have you seen the preceding two films yeah i've seen aliens a couple of times those two are more important alien 3 rise of the machines (laughs) that's right it's not a good film but there are interesting things about it in which you can kind of see how 
it could have been a good film. I don't know. We'll talk about that later. Actually, uh, speaking of the Alien franchise, uh, from Alien Resurrection, there's an actor in this who I like very much, and you see pop up every now and then. I forget his name, but he's the guy who plays the surviving lust victim. Oh, okay. Who does, I think, a really good job in his one scene in this where he's just free. I mean, what an awful experience to have. But uh, he was on ER for a while. Yeah. I liked him in that. I wasn't sure that I will say. So you t- you you remember the bo- you know what's in the box, and you knew about that. But after that, I would bet that the lust murder is the other thing that people tend to remember about this film because it's a pelvis with a with a switchblade or a, it's know. a it's more like a sword. But yeah, 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 and that he fucks her to death with it. Yeah, yeah that's pretty memorable yeah. i found josh it, pretty dark uh very dark very bottom very bottom point of this very very dark movie well i don't know it gets worse for our heroes even after I, that. I was a little bit surprised too that he let them that the man was allowed to live so you wonder well, if there but, was a plan to kill him as well but because of the haste because he calls no me, he let him live i had to change my schedule i had to move things up now that plans have changed yeah but i think that's just that he's gonna be going through you know the whole routine quicker but he would have if he wanted to kill that guy that's not going to take very long that's also just... k- kudos to kevin spacey for hiding his british accent he's he's really right. really a trained actor at that yeah well i mean he is a good actor just not a great guy um Oh, I did write down here, too, that you noticed the metronome, and you felt like yes. those were very, uh, were those a big 90s thing? I don't know why, but my family had a metronome, and we did not have a piano, so we, we had the same wooden metronome, and I know my my aunt and uncle have it now sitting on their piano, they have a piano, so it makes sense for them. I wonder if the popularity of metronomes was a result of this film. Or it's just a coincidence that the metronome is in this film because they were already popular. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I do remember this movie did have a pretty striking ad campaign, or at least it stuck with me. I remember the metronome is very present in the trailer for this film, as is a pretty great Morgan Freeman line, the one where he says, the thing about the killer is that he's methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. (laughs) <laughs> and that always stuck with me. I don't love the uh, seven, the number seven inserted in the V of the title. <sighs> that I, was kind of before. People do that shit all the time now, you know? I just don't. Like, but that was. A seven doesn't look like a V unless it's turned 90 degrees. And they yeah, don't turn still, it 90 degrees. You still knew the word was seven. And it looks cool. I would argue that it would look cooler if they had turned it 90. So you're like, oh, the V looks like a 7. No, then it would just look like a weird V. Right, but... A 7 on its side is nothing. Well, but a V... Okay, but S-E-7-E-N is also nothing. But you, it's like seven, and like you get, you get that it's just collapsing. That's exactly my point. Inserting the number seven into the word seven. You know, work. you know, it should be said seven. It's just got a cool graph. I will not agree with you on this. You are wrong. All right. Well, we'll talk to the people. I mean, clearly the people who marketed it knew what they were doing because it was a very successful. Yeah, we better call movie. them up and tell them they're about to make a terrible mistake. No one's gonna watch their movie. I'll build a goddamn time machine and go back to make them aware. Of this egregious error. Um, 
All right. Well, I mean, I guess, was there anything else? I mean, it sounds like you feel pretty positive about the film. I loved it. I would like to say, I'd, I'd like to do a segment called uh, Josh Calls Bullshit. There were like one or two is other things. Is this more about the title? No, this is nothing All right, what else you got then? Okay, I'd also... I, oh, or, uh, sorry to cut you off, but is this about Brad Pitt gesticulating too much? Because he had a problem with that partway through the movie. No, no, that is fine. I thought it was just... I was just trying to remark that there's something about Brad Pitt's performances from movies in the early 90s where he throws his arm out repeatedly. Whenever he punctuates a sentence, there's an arm gesture he's pointing. And it's most prominently in 12 Monkeys, which is a movie that I really like. Uh, and I just noticed it in this character as well. I'm not saying it's a bad thing as much as it was something that he seemed quite attached to as an actor. Now, I haven't seen like Thelma and Louise, uh, California. There are other like early 90s Brad Pitt performances, but I bet if you went back and watched them, you'd get more of that like every time a sentence ends, the arm gets thrown out. Yeah, well, Fight Club is only four years after this, and while he is very kind of like loose in that movie... Um, with his limbs, he kind of like, he seems to be, uh, a little all over the place physically. It doesn't seem to be in quite that way. Yeah. You know, he, it's more kind of like he has this almost like dancerly way about him. I want to call bullshit on the subway rumbling their apartment so hard that it shakes and they have to literally hold their hands over their drinks so that they don't spill. That's really bad. I live near... You can attest that we We've were... We've noticed. We are recording this at next to an outdoor subway line. I'm now, pretty sure all the listeners noticed too. Granted, it's a below ground... It's, it's below street level, but it is open it's air. Open, yeah. And you can hear it. And the apartment does not shake. They're closer. Yeah. It's probably an L... You know, an elevated train. I looked at uh, a, an apartment once off in Brooklyn off the Myrtle Wyckoff like, uh, line on the on the M, the JM, yeah. the JMZ. All right. And the train was uh, eye level to the apartment. It was, it was like, you know, fourth floor apartment. So mm-hmm. you're literally looking at the window at the train. And I witnessed it go by and nothing shook. It was loud, but I think that was like – that's one of those things where if you don't live in a city – you can't appreciate how ridiculous that is, uh, but that's something that's like like cities so bad that the train rocks the building. Like, no, that would have to be a high speed train going two hundred miles an hour. I mean, well, I don't have any personal experience with this. So, what do you mean? You live in Boston? Yeah, I have never lived in an apartment that close to an elevated train or though. been in one. You've never been in an apartment? No. I'm not a 1920s Dickensian orphan, Josh. I haven't been in that situation. I, I just meant like if you have a friend who lives near one of those stops. I mean, somewhat, right? No. Okay. Well, uh, Boston subway isn't. It's an okay subway as far as they go, but it's it doesn't have quite the muscle to be doing that. One other thing I'd like to point out that's not a, a bullshit call, but it's it's interesting to see a 90s movie where no one is smoking indoors. Oh, that is interesting. Just, You're right. That's the kind of thing where you'd expect one of those detectives. Well, because um, in other instances, when I've been watching some of these older movies, what has stuck out to me is the smoking. Yeah. Which this one lacks. I wonder, I should probably look up when that actually got changed where you couldn't do that anymore. Was that an artistic choice in this film or was that that the rule had come in, into place by then? Yeah. Uh, and also, I will say this. I, I was 
Okay, so I think I showing sloth's death was fine, but having someone smoking a cigarette over him would just be a step too far. Uh, I don't think that uh, I got into. I was expecting the head in the box to be significantly gorier Mm -hmm. because it's it's not shown, not shown at all. And I actually wondered if know it's in there because I know it's David Fincher. So I was thinking, like, is the catch going to be that it's not her head? Is that what's really happening here? Is that is it that Kevin Spacey has actually is actually he paper mached such an accurate lifelike well, uh, facsimile of her face that he fooled Detective no, Somerset? That, well, that was the thing is I I mean I, I, I took from from Morgan Freeman's performance and the the way that Doctor Somerset reacts, Detective Somerset reacts, that it had to be hers. But there was a part of me that was like. What if it is not? What if it's just another blonde woman who's who's looks like her? And the idea here is that he's going to kill Kevin Spacey and have to be put in prison himself uh, for a, just complete. What is actually and just that a it's complete all mansion. a trick. Yeah, yeah. but you, you do need. I mean, I guess Brad Pitt's like life being destroyed would be the last body, but like Gwyneth is. I guess. You could go either way. So, you know, uh, John Doe himself is one of the bodies. Yes. And then you get the choice of whether you count Gwyneth being murdered by him or the destruction of David Mills's life being yeah. the final victim. No, or you could just be comfortable with eight victims. I think it's her. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would also say reminder that Sloth is technically not dead. Yeah, but he's he's on his way. His brain is mush. And plus, the the lust guy is probably off to jump off a high bridge. I, I do wish film. that in my life, I, I'm not I'm not trying to be an actor. But if I was gonna be in a, anything, I would love just to be this. This I, is the movie you no, pick, not I, like an Edgar Wright movie. I, I'd love to be in a movie like this, and I'd love to be like that doctor who's like, well, even if he could talk, and he can't, because his brain is mush. He bit his own tongue off weeks ago anyway. Like, just that, just that, like, he had two lines, but they were memorable lines, and then he was gone. Yeah, well, he also takes the time to throw in, and he still has hell to look forward to, because this is seven, and every single person in this movie has to be a complete prick. Except the fat guy who was just simply fat. Well, we don't know what he was like. We're, we're, I think we're led to assume that he was an asshole on top of being fat. Also, if this was a, a an Adam McKay directed film, do you think there'd be a bunch of outtake scenes of Morgan Freeman reading various journal passages, and we could just get lots <laughs> and lots of journal passages, making it up each time? But each one of them is him throwing up on a stranger. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the park today. A woman walked up to me and started asking me to hold her dog for a moment while she ran to talk on the phone. I didn't notice it at the time, but I'd thrown up on her, and I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah, that was an interesting... Uh, he says, he says I didn't notice it was happening at first, but then I threw up on him. Right. Needless to say, he was unhappy about it, and I couldn't stop laughing. I couldn't stop laughing. Oh, man. Yeah, that... I mean, the... Uh, you also have to give art department credit to, like, you know, they have... They had... People had to write fill notebooks with this random text well only a couple though really they didn't show every single one of those like, hundreds of notebooks i think the i think the apartment his his apartment john doe's apartment particularly impressive very cool uh, location it was and, creepy and horrible and then you, but you also like you, you have to you can't help but like look at something like that and you're like oh uh look just like my aunt sheila's place he's got, sorry he's got I'm a, sorry he's got a different light box uh, frame for each of the sins he's gonna well right and that's where a lot of those photographs i was talking about are 
that and like a memento related to each one. It's just funny because you're like, oh, I wonder where he got that. Like where where where, where do I don't go to? Where do I get the light up the boxes? I don't um, know. Anyway. I mean, he clearly had a lot of time on his hands. Maybe he wired it up himself. It's also unfortunate, and I don't think it's necessary. But it would have been nice to get the some backstory. There's any. No, he should remain a mystery. Are you kidding me? Well, we'll save it for seven, two, eight, or fourteen, or four, twenty-one. Seven no, plus ten, two is ten nine. Com- it'd be ten commandments. Ugh, whatever. We're gonna find. Um, we're, by the way, don't don't be uh, surprised when you see a tweet from the AV Club announcing the seven sequel ten. In the next year or two. It makes no sense why it would be 10. It, it doesn't, but... Or it's it's based on the Ten Commandments. Yes, like that's what you're I'm talking. saying, yes. The thing is that the Ten Commandments has a lot of sort of, like, similar ones in there. Yeah. You know? I mean, it would be like... Re- but do you think it's like an... Brad Pitt is just a cameo where he's, like, in an insane asylum from having dealt with that Well, experience? the funny thing is, is that it's... Uh, it's one of those expanded universes where Brad Pitt and 12 Monkeys is actually, that's taking place after seven. Oh, okay. That makes that's a lot of sense. That's how we wound up in there. Uh, man, 12 Monkeys actually makes me want to rewatch it. And you should probably find someone who hasn't seen that movie because I don't think it, it really fits your mold, but it's quite a movie to oh, talk about. I think about. it absolutely would fall into the scope of this project. Um, I will say so. Final thoughts. Yeah. Well,. Also, just a couple things I wanted to get out. While I was watching, I was looking for other parts that were kind of as well-known as, the, like, what's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Like, I think maybe not as famous, though. It's relative. I think I've heard people referencing it in other places is uh, Morgan Freeman's, stay away from here. Stay away from here now. John Doe has the upper hand. You know, like that. Yeah. that I think people reference that Morgan Freeman. This, I must say, is an excellent Morgan Freeman performance. I won't say it's the definitive Morgan Freeman performance. Cause that, what would you say? Probably Shawshank. Uh, yeah, I think that's well, Shawshank. Yeah, but uh, I think this is one of his real great, great performances that he's given. He's tremendous. Although he, he you know, John Doe does not have much of an upper hand. Maybe psychologically. Well, the thing is, is that, like, they're dancing to his tune. Everything that has happened so far has unfolded according to his design. Sure. So, he certainly has enough of an upper hand that he can make Mills do what he wants. I was sitting there just being like, please do not shoot him. Please do not shoot him. I know. I think, you know, there's would have been an interesting movie if, if he had been able to control himself. But There is an alternate cut of this film. What? Uh, I think I don't think they actually shot it. I think they just storyboarded it. Um, That's on the DVD extras, right? Um, the alternate ending to this film is that when the three of them are standing there before Brad Pitt can take the shot, Morgan Freeman shoots John Doe ah. and kills him, and in doing so, he takes the he takes the burden on himself. That would uh, sync up. Him. That syncs up very well with the conversation they have much earlier in the movie, where he says, "I've pulled my weapon out three times with the intention of firing it, and I've only fired it, and I've never, I've only fired it once, and I've never killed anybody." Right. He had fired it previously just to stop the van, I suppose. But um, they also, though, have a conversation about their respective philosophies about the world. Yes. Where you know Morgan Freeman, the cynical old guy, talks about how all they do is you know collect the mementos and record the circumstances of the dead 
Whereas Brad Pitt says, no, I don't accept that. I think that we can actually really do something. Yeah. And this would be, you know, it would have been, I suppose, a happier ending. But that's not the film that we're watching. I don't think it would have No, it, it ends with an Ernest Hemingway quote. It does. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's. And so I it's, do love Papa Ernest, but. Yeah. Um, no, so it's like a, it's a dark view of humanity. But worth fighting for. I thought the car scene when they're driving out to the final location was also maybe the most engaging scene of the movie because you also have three excellent actors exchanging all this really great dialogue. And mm-hmm. I think it was when Brad Pitt was like, next week, no one will remember you. You'll be gone. And he's like, you know, and Kevin Spacey's like, when the thing, when you haven't seen the full act. You haven't seen the whole picture yet. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess this brings us down to our final question. It seems like you're leaning one way, but I'll just lay it out. Do you think, Josh, that this movie, Seven, was better late and that you are glad to have seen it and it has brightened your life or never and that if you had never seen this movie for the rest of your life, that would have been okay? No, better late. All right. Easily better late. In fact, I, so, so, so I, w- I was uh, at work. Some of my coworkers were talking about it which was like the third time that the what's in the box thing was, uh, mm-hmm. except I had already heard it. And when they started teasing me with it, I was like, it's Gwyneth Paltrow's head. I know that about the movie. And they're like, ah, we thought you didn't know anything. And I was like, no, that's been spoiled already. Jerks. I think too, I have seen and apologies to all the Gwyneth haters out there, but I actually do kind of like Gwyneth Paltrow. There was a Halloween where she was photographed that she dressed up as her own head in a box. She was ha! wearing a box over her head. Ha! That's yeah. very clever. I think it's funny. I mean, whatever. You know, I love Gwyneth Paltrow. Get out of my face. 2000s Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, goop. Uh, I think we're talking like mid-aughts probably. 90s performance Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, early mid- Gwyneth Terrific. Paltrow. Shakespeare in Love Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm on board. I mean, for me, yes, that, but also it's 100% a Royal Tenenbaums thing. Yeah. I was in love with Margot the first time I saw it, and I remain in love with Margot. So. I wonder if she had issues with Wes Anderson because everyone else he's worked with has become part of his wide repertory company except her. It's, I mean, Yeah, maybe, it's maybe an interesting Gene question. Hackman. I mean, I've seen some behind-the-scenes stuff on the Tenenbaums DVD, and I never got the impression that there was anything, you know, in terms of hostility. Like, all of the conversations seemed like they had a perfectly good time. You know, too, Ben Stiller, also out of that universe, but he's collaborated very heavily with... Noah Baumbach uh, on a couple of those movies. Yeah. Greenberg and... So Noah Baumbach, like Wes Anderson light, basically. If you say so. Ooh, um, I'm going to rile up that Twitterverse again, I think. If anyone ever actually... I would love to, to get this, pilloried yes. for, for making fun of Noah Bombach. Noah Bombach. Not obscure director, but... All, all those Noah heads come out of the woodwork. I do have a story about him that is completely inappropriate for this podcast, so I'll tell you off mic, but... Uh, Ooh, tease. It's not, a good, it's not a great story. That's why I'm not going into it. Okay. Uh, so yeah, definitely really glad that I saw it. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And Josh, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast. You, uh... You got any plugs? You want to plug something? Uh, I will be at the Chuckle Hut in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, when does this air? Let's not jump in to any September, conclusions about this ever actually airing, September Josh. September of 2018. It's uh, term 19th. You can get your tickets to that now. Uh, I also walk dogs and watch dogs uh, in my spare time on an app called Rover. You can find me there, uh, and I work for a theater company called Theater for a New Audience. Uh, we produce Shakespeare and plays of note and new plays, uh, and 
If you ever are in Brooklyn, uh, give us a look. And if you see something of ours and you like it, donate some money because it's not for profit. Oh theater. my God, Josh, this is all getting cut. It's a real. I had a real plug in there. Come on. Well, buddy, it was great having you. Great to be here. Catch you at the next one. Bye. You get me closer to God. <laughs> Me. Help me.